0: today on CityCast Denver. The Democrats in control of our state legislature have been hard at work since January, and the pressure is on to see what they can pass before adjourning in early June. They seem to be focusing on plans to improve air quality, a bill to protect abortion rights, and new regulations for our out-of-control housing market. But today, we're focusing on one bill that hasn't had quite as much attention as it deserves.
1: Okay, thank you for that. Who's next? Can I start now? Go right ahead. Thank you. My name is Raven Payment, and I am descended from the Ojibwe and Gahaga people. I am a mother and a daughter. I am a veteran of the United States Navy, and I am a member of the MMIR Task Force.
0: MMIR stands for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Relatives. And that task force Raven Payment mentioned was formed in response to a crisis that's been unfolding on this continent for over 500 years, with generations of killings and disappearances ignored by America's criminal justice system. You just heard Payment testifying in favor of a new bill to address the crisis here in Colorado. I invited her on the show today because I wanted to know why this particular proposal is the right way to start tackling this massive, murky problem of missing and murdered indigenous people. Plus, we've got some clips from other folks who testified at that hearing too. Today is Monday, April 4th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver.
1: I now have microphone, headphone envy right now with the professional setups that you guys have. I'm like, Oh, man, that's some nice equipment.
0: (laughs) You know, surprisingly, phones can make people sound pretty good. So, Raven Payment, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thank you. Glad to be here. So last week, um, this new bill was introduced that would create an office for missing and murdered indigenous relatives in the state of Colorado, and it had its first hearing in committee. And you testified at that hearing.
1: Can you tell me what you shared or talked about? Essentially, part of my testimony was both given um, some statistics about why we felt the legislation is necessary. You know, 96% of a Native uh, person's rapists are non-Native Um, Four out of five, um, not just Native women, but Native people will um, undergo violence in their lifetime. Um, And then just kind of reiterating the point that, you know, these crimes against Native peoples are um, not usually investigated by law enforcement, but also sharing my lived experience as a Native woman. As an Indigenous woman, I am all too familiar with being fetishized and objectified I am familiar with not being believed when assaulted. I am familiar with being blamed for my assault. And I am even more familiar with seeing my non-native perpetrator be promoted through an illustrious military career. This isn't a historical issue. This is a contemporary issue affecting everyone sitting in this room, essentially.
0: Do you think that that's part of the issue here is that folks, I, I know I've heard this about the indigenous experiences, as people put it in the past. It's not thought of as a current day experience in the world.
1: Um, Absolutely. I 1000% think that's part of the crux of the issue. Um, A lot of people, when they think of Native people, we're either referred to as a historical context, like we're wearing a buckskin dress or, you know, we're wearing a headdress, which is not usually something that we wear um, in everyday life, but also that we don't often live on reservations, 70% of indigenous people live in urban centers. Um, And a lot of people are very surprised when they hear that.
0: So this bill does a number of things around the issue, but the main change seems to be establishing a state office for missing and murdered indigenous relatives.
1: What would this office do? Um. Yeah, well, what wouldn't they do? As I like to say, um, we have several pages of duties of what the office would do. But essentially, um, one of the most important components of this office is what we've been referring to as cultural competency. Part of the issue with MMIR, um, which is Missing and Murdered Indigenous Relatives, and in these interagencies like the law enforcement and the CBI, Natives, for a large variety of reasons, have um, distrust of these agencies and law enforcement. Um, So, what we're hoping is that in developing this office, this is community led. This is a person who has ties and cultural competency, and hopefully, you know, is an indigenous person, is a member of the community. So, they're acting as that bridge. Um, and as that trusted resource for Native people to go to. So families who have, you know, uh, missing or murdered relatives can go to this person victims of violence have somewhere to go to and act as that liaison with the Department of Public Safety, with law enforcement, or if it's a tribal issue with the FBI, um, tribal law enforcement, that sort of thing. So that's kind of like the real heart is having that um, cultural competent person.
0: Who understands indigenous experience in the world and and why there is a distrust of law enforcement in the first place. Like... How can you go ask
1: someone for help if you don't really trust them? Exactly. Um, And, you know, going back to my testimony, that was kind of part of it. I am familiar with not wanting to involve law enforcement when a relative goes missing because of these experiences, but recognizing that there is nowhere else for us to turn to. This distrust of those charged with our safekeeping is unacceptable, and again, this bill forces the process to make this right, and forces these agencies to end their hoarding of power that keeps this crisis alive.
0: So I know that 15 other states have um, similar offices in place already. Why do you think this is especially needed in Colorado?
1: So um, in taking, um, trying to figure out data and who are our uh, missing and murdered Indigenous relatives in Colorado, there is no accurate picture. So what we were initially relying on to look into this problem um, was the Urban Indian Health Institute's 2017 report. So in 2017, when they issued the MMIW report, um, they said women, and just a disclaimer, we use relatives to be inclusive um, of the gender binary, but they they used the term women. So Denver was ranked seventh as one of the most violent places for indigenous women in the country. So we knew we had a problem, but we also knew we didn't have all the data to understand why or how to combat this problem. So We started looking into databases, whatever was publicly available. And when I say we, um, there's four members of us on the MMIR task force that's just kind of a grassroots um, organization. We developed a list of people that we either knew through word of mouth from like friends and family or looking at a database and seeing a surname where you're like, ooh, that might be an indigenous last name. Um, Let's see if we can find some family and figure out a tribal affiliation. Um, That's time consuming. That's taxing. And it's not very accurate or a good way of doing business, but what we found out was Um, Like the CBI is not classifying Native people as Native people. Um, They're either classified as like Hispanic or other or white. Um, And we've actually tried to correct these databases for a number of months and nothing's been fixed. So that's kind of where we realized how do we figure out how to solve a problem if we don't even have an accurate picture. Can you talk about how that
0: misclare? classification
1: of indigenous people happens? It's it's just an assumption. They like whoever's doing a report looks at a person and is like, meh, Hispanic, meh, white, or <sighs> I don't know, other. Um and you know, again, that ties into that um cultural competency. Like you don't even understand what community this person belongs to. Um, one of the individuals that it was, she was a victim of homicide and was misclassified in the report. And I was like, if you don't even know what community this person belongs to, did you even go talk to that community to understand to solve this crime? And the crime remains unsolved to this day. Mm. Yeah. So I, I'm wondering how your community feels about the creation
0: of this office in terms of like – is it too little, too late? Is it, you know, I mean, I, I hate to, to do that, but I just think about, oh, if I had lost a relative 20 years ago, it would be like, okay, d- did they matter too? You know, or like, I don't know. What do, what do you think about that?
1: Uh, it's hard for me to speak for for the whole of these communities because Absolutely. We're, we're, we're talking like intertribal and stuff. And some of those communities are not, even though we're indigenous people, I am not from those tribes. So it's hard to say. Um... I will say that for the most part, a lot of the feedback that we've gotten has been positive. Um, And even, you know, some of the criticisms in like the language of the bill and stuff were taken to be to make it better and more impactful. Um, I I always think there's going to be the sentiment of too little too late because, you know, this is – I mean, MMIR, Missing and Murdered People, is something that Indigenous people have been familiar with for the past 500 years since colonial contact. Um, So, you know, but at the same time, like, it's never too soon to do the right thing. I also had
0: a, a relative who passed away here in Denver, Colorado. Her case went cold for over 20 years, and there was no answers for me, my family or any of us. I'm asking that you support this bill because we needed that alert system. We needed answers. Our family cried for over 20 years, not knowing where our aunt went. You kind of alluded to this, but I'm I'm wondering, I, I know this is a big question, is if there's a way to give a little bit of history of missing indigenous people as a crisis. I mean, you said, you know, again, since colonial contact 500 years ago, this is
1: not a new problem. No, it's not. Um, so, I mean, you take contact in in 1492 with Columbus and, you know, even Columbus wrote about, Um, his contact there, and forgive me, I don't remember the island off the top of my head, but, you know, he wrote that these would make very fine slaves. Um, And he even wrote about, you know, enslaving um, these young indigenous girls and how they were using them for their own, um, you know, sexual gratification. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, literally since first contact, all we have known is violence perpetrated against us. And then what happens is the issuance of the um, uh, Doctrine of Discovery, the Papal Bull that was issued in 1493, that justified the European westward expansion. And that, you know, if if we weren't Christians, um, we were heathens and we either needed to be converted or destroyed. Um, and if people aren't willingly converting, what happens next? Um, violence. And so once that happens and you start to see like the formation of the American government, every single policy that was enacted was to eradicate us, forcibly relocate us off our lands. Um, Native women, for example, were viewed as promiscuous, less than human um, individuals. And that was because it contradicted these uh christian european values uh so when you think about these policies the assimilation practices take the boarding schools which are being talked about in you know the news right now um you you kind of like come to this turning point where we are seen as less than still so it's it's a continue i i think
0: it's an uncomfortable truth especially for white folks that uh the (laughs) you know the The crisis we're seeing right now with missing and murdered indigenous relatives is a continuation of the American experience. I mean, it's not uh, it's not new. It's not new. Um, Why do you think it's taken so long for this office to be created when it is something that we've been dealing with since the creation of this country?
1: So uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. But I think one of the main things is that we didn't really, so anecdotally native people, we've known there's an issue. We've, I mean we know that. However, up until the Urban Indian Health Institute um, did that report in 2017, we didn't necessarily have the data to show, that this was a crisis. Um, So since that report came out, that's when, you know, like, hashtag MMIW and the red handprint and stuff started to gain some um, traction and notoriety. And that's when a lot of these task forces were finally, like, they had the, um, the ammunition essentially to justify why these offices and task forces needed to be created. Um, And so similarly in Colorado, this is the work of, you know, a couple of years of, you know, individuals on a grassroots level, bringing it to this point.
0: I'm just thinking so much about how um, communities were already doing this work too, right? Like you all, you keep track of, you know, it's like communicating with each other. Um, You know, Facebook is a great avenue to, to just collect community data when there wasn't that data before. But,
1: you know, better late than never, I guess, right? Right. Um, and I would also like to see some resolution for... Um, there's 13 cold cases that we know of um, that the CBI has actually tracked that I would love to see some resolution for, um, you know, for their families and their communities.
0: Raven Payment, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And I also just want to say thank you because I realize these conversations, I ask you to open up and talk about really intense stuff. Yeah. And so I, I appreciate your willingness to do that. Thank you.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm I don't know if the w- word is happy. Yeah. Um, I do consider it an honor um, that I am able to use my voice um, to this conversation.
0: That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us, rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our morning newsletter, where today I wrote about the 50th annual Rainbow Family Gathering, which is set to lure 30,000 hippies to an as-yet-undisclosed location in Colorado this summer. Some folks online are already worried, and you can read all about it and subscribe at denver.citycast.fm forward slash newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Oh, just sniffed right into the microphone.
1: Sorry. Ah, okay.